Hello. Am I on? Doesn't quite sound like it, yeah? Awesome. My name's Evan. If I haven't met you, I would like to. I say that every time, but man, it's genuinely true. Uh, there's a reason that I'm up here, and it's not just to teach you the Bible. It's to uh, just come alongside you and encourage you, just get to know you. Uh, that's more of a pastor's role than uh, just teaching the Bible. It's to come alongside somebody's life and encourage them in whatever situation they might be in. Uh, before we hop into the passage uh, that we're going to be looking at tonight, uh, I kind of want to just make an announcement. Um, the bulletins, um, though they're small, they're packed with such good things. Uh, the one that I want to pinpoint tonight is small groups. Uh, we have a small group launch next Wednesday, I guess this coming Wednesday, September 26th. Uh, it's at 5.30 down here. We're going to have some food and then gather together and just brainstorm what it looks like to have a good small group. And then the week after that, we'll have right now two different small groups. One's on Tuesday, one's on Wednesday for seven or eight weeks. And the idea of a small group, if you haven't grown up in a church um, or never been to a small group or never been to a good small group, the idea is to give you a chance to connect with other believers and then dig deeper into uh, the Bible. It's really simple, um, but it's profound. The things that I've learned most, the deepest experiences I, I've had in my faith have come through small groups. Not listening to a person talk for 30 minutes, 95% of which I forget, but it's rather getting together and discussing and processing and building relationship and community. Um, so that'll start next Wednesday and then the f actual small groups after that. Um, if it's something you're interested, come and talk to me. There's also a sign-up form in the back table. Be nice to get a head count. So we're halfway through a series that we entitled Loving God and Loving Others, um, Individually and Collectively. We spent the first two weeks looking at how important community is to love God well and to love others the same way we love ourselves. Last week, Ben started off um, like a four-part, four-week part looking at the spiritual disciplines. And the idea behind doing this, behind this entire series, is to show us the tools that God has given us so that way we can live the way we were created to live. The greatest commandment, according to Jesus, is to love God with everything you are. That is why you were created. Second one is similar, to love your neighbor in the same way that you love yourself. That is our purpose. Right? Our individual purposes stem out of those, but those are the foundational spots that our purposes begin. So we looked at prayer last week. We're going to look at fasting this week. But the idea of spiritual disciplines, what's so important, is this idea of intentionality. It's so easy for us to coast through life on autopilot. Wake up, drink our coffee, read our devotional, eat breakfast, rush around all day, come home, have dinner, hang out with the family, zone out, go to sleep. The next day we do it all again. So often our lives are set on repeat and we simply operate out of our routine, out of what we know is normal. And I know this can be good. Our lives can be filled with such good things that bring us joy and passion. But when we function only in what is normal, easy, or natural, then we can miss out on the new things that God desires to bring into our lives. New mindsets, new belief systems, new experiences. You know, and I have found that one of the only ways to break out of routine is through being intentional. 
We come up with ideas for change, desires to do things different, but they simply stay ideas. In order to transform desires into reality, we must decide to be intentional about bringing them to life. You know, our current series is focused on God's most basic commands for humanity, as I mentioned, the reason why we were all created. Even though this is our basic design, to do it well requires us to be intentional. Just like the desire to get better grades, to lose weight, to pay off debt, to climb the rank within your business. The only way to bring it to genuine fruition is by figuring out specific ways to approach it and then setting our mind and our time to make it happen. Now, when it comes to loving God and loving others, I do not believe there is a formula that we must all follow. But God has given us various tools that allow us to move more fully into knowing and loving him and to genuinely loving others. You know, we started this series by looking at the importance of community. Like I said, last week, Ben began the discussion of spiritual disciplines. He examined biblical meditation and prayer. Tonight, we're going to jump into the idea of fasting. Next week, I'm going to look at generosity and serving. The week after that, the idea of practicing the disciplines collectively. Our hope is that we begin to better understand these tools that God gave us so that we we can more fully live out the life that he has called us to live. Now, in order to give us more incentive as a community to do this, we as a church are going to do 21 days of intention starting October 15th for just three weeks, I challenge you to join us in choosing to intentionally pursue God and love others. Whether it be through prayer, meditation, fasting, small groups, being generous, serving others, spending time with your family, my hope is that you will determine how God wants you to spend that time and then commit to doing it. Even though it is only 21 days, God often takes what is so small and insignificant and abundantly blesses it. None of these things can earn more of God's favor. If you don't believe that, come and talk to me. I'll show you verse after verse that proves this. They simply put us into a better place to experience his goodness. But when we get to experience God's goodness in unique and profound ways, our lives are changed. It's what we all desire to have. It's what we've been singing about tonight. You know, to promote the collective component during this time, we're going to have prayer right here every morning, Monday through Friday from 6.30 to 7. We will also have three different service opportunities, one per week that we can gather together in order to serve other people. And hopefully at the end of it, I'm trying to encourage the musicians to set up a, uh, like a worship night on that last Friday. Please check out the downtown website. We got our own page dedicated to the 21 days. There's a video on there. There's all sorts of things that show you why we were doing it and details about it. All right. Tonight, though, like I said, this is the third time I've said I want to focus on fasting. Now, fasting is defined in the Hebrew as covering one's mouth. In the Greek, it means to abstain. Most examples show of fasting show people choosing not to eat a certain type of food or drink a certain drink for a prescribed amount of time. Now a question, how many of you like the idea of fasting? 
nobody. I figured it'd at least be one. We got some thumbs down. All right, so how many of you, I'm guessing all of you, how many of you have fasted, right? Everybody probably has. That's why you don't like it. Right? So often, fasting is seen as something done by monks or mystics who spend their time on mountaintops. It either seems too odd or too difficult for us commoners to partake in, so the idea of fasting is quickly dismissed or forgotten. My hope tonight is that you begin to understand that fasting is something we can and should do. Now, fasting is something we see through the entire Bible. From Moses on the mountaintop with God, to David mourning the death of his child, to Esther and the Jewish people standing against Haman's desire to commit genocide, to Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days, to the apostles looking for where they should go next. We see it over and over and over. It seems to be a way in which people seek God's direction and desire to go into deeper places with him. Now, in order to better understand why we fast, I want to look at Matthew 9, 14 through 17. It'll be behind me on the screen. I don't want to enable you in your laziness, but this is the nature of our culture, right? It's not your fault. (laughs) Yes, I am making fun of you. All right, Matthew 9, 14. Then the disciples of John came to him. That's Jesus saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, the wedding guests can, cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old cloak, for the patch pulls away from the cloak, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wine skin. Otherwise, the skin bursts and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wine skin, so both are preserved. All right, my hope is to really get you to understand some of the intricacy of this passage. And just know this is my interpretation, but my hope is that you walk away desiring to dig deeper yourself. So the first thing I see from this passage about fasting that is not to be seen as a proof of one's righteousness. Fasting is not to be seen as a proof of one's righteousness. In verse 14, we see that the Pharisees and the disciples are fasting on a regular basis and see confused and most likely upset that Jesus' disciples are not doing the same. You know, at this point in Israelite history, the Pharisees had turned fasting into evidence of one's righteousness. They fasted every Monday and Thursday without fail, and it was seen as proof of their holiness and right standing before God. This was and still is a very common worldview held by the Pharisees. They choose specific things like fasting, tithing, observing the Sabbath, and elevate them to a standard by which other people should be judged. Because they were so committed to these laws, they themselves They saw themselves as far better than the rest. We get an idea of this in Luke 18. Jesus tells a parable. Should be the next one, Michael. He also told a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying, Thus, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. 
But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven and was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. You know, we do the same exact thing. This is a slight little rabbit trail. We have certain standards in our minds that we use to determine one's worth. It may be religious, financial, moral. could be based on education or profession or physical ability or your ability to play sports. We see our standards as a major indicator for a person's value. When a person falls into the preconceived notion of what we think is good, we see them as worthwhile. When they don't, we slightly or we overtly condemn them. Now, I believe this is one of the two reasons why Jesus did not have his disciples fast. He came to strip people of their religiosity and bring them back to a genuine relationship with God. Throughout the Gospels, we continually see Jesus go head-to-head with the religious authorities' belief in the purpose of the law. Whether it is tithing the Sabbath or hanging out with prostitutes and tax collectors, Jesus confronts people's preconceived notions of what makes a person more righteous before God. Now, I believe one of Jesus' main goals was to teach people that one's right standing before God has nothing to do with their actions. Regardless of how holy a person may seem, they still have fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus came to show us that we are reconciled to our Creator and remain connected to Him for all times, no matter what we do, through faith and faith alone. Our righteousness, holiness, or right standing before God comes only through us believing that Jesus died as a sacrifice for our unrighteousness. John 14, 6, you've heard this one before. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. Doesn't matter what you do, how often you fast. It has nothing to do with living up to the standards that you have for what is worthwhile. Now, if you decide to be a part of the 21 days, we must keep locked in on this. By committing to prayer, fasting, biblical meditation and study, generosity, serving, whatever, we are not doing this to earn God's favor. We are not doing this to appear more holy to those around us. Check out Matthew 6, 16 through 18. One of of the few verses on fasting. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. Take a shower so that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The spiritual disciplines have nothing to do with gaining more of God's love or the approval of others. So why do we do them? This is, how the Pharise- this is why the Pharisees did it, which is wrong. So why do we do them? This is the second thing I want you to know about fasting. Fasting is a way to honor God above all else. Let's go back to Matthew 9. Look at 15 and on. And Jesus said to them, 
The wedding guests cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old cloak, for the patch pulls away from the cloak, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wine skin. Otherwise, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wine skins, so they are both preserved. So we see Jesus give us two different analogies to answer the people's questions and their indignation about his disciples not fasting. I just love the way Jesus answers questions through story or through questions. Through these two, I think he tells us why we should fast. We'll just kind of pick them apart. You know, the first word picture, the idea of the bride and the bridegroom, would have been an extremely profound word picture for the people of Jesus' day. He states that his disciples are the wedding guests and that he is the groom. If you look at Hosea 2, Ezekiel 16, Jeremiah 2, God refers to Israel as his bride and that he is her husband. He declares that he looked upon her in love, swooped down and rescued her, and then she ran away from him to seek out other lovers. This is one of the very few times that Jesus openly declares that he is God. Now, due to the fact that God is in their midst, the disciples don't have to mourn by fasting, as Jesus says in verse 15. In the Old Testament, larger groups of people commonly use fasting as an expression of physical, a physical expression of sorrow and repentance. Think about Jonah which we're going to be studying in October, and the Ninevites. When Jonah came and pronounced God's judgment, what did the Ninevites do? They fasted in order to remove God's judgment. In the book of Joel, we see Israelites doing the exact same thing. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, there we go, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the ages, Gather the children, even the infants at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her canopy. Between the vestibules and the altars, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord. Fasting was used to show God how sorrowful they were in order to reveal the repentant heart and hopefully change his desire to judge. But when Jesus arrives... Everything changed. This is what Jesus is referring to in verses 16 and 17 of Matthew 9. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old cloth, right? Neither do they put new wine in old wineskin. Now, thinking about the context of this passage, Jesus is teaching about the new and old ways of viewing fasting. The old cloak and the wineskin are the old ways that people used to approach fasting abstaining from food so that God will have pity and maybe show mercy. But with Jesus comes a new reason to fast. And this is what I want us to see. He brought the new patch and the new wine. Fasting is no longer seen as a way to seek God's mercy. God's total mercy has been fully revealed and can be fully received through faith in Jesus' death and resurrection. 
Fasting is now a way to express one's intense desire to have more of the goodness that Jesus already brought. In verse 15, Jesus states that once he was gone, the disciples, his followers, Christians will fast. Now, this is not a command, but it's a strong suggestion. If you ever wonder if God wants us to practice fasting, here you go. My disciples will fast. But not in the way that the Israelites used to. Fasting is now to be used as a way to show one's intense longing to have more of what Jesus already brought. Now think about what the disciples and those around them got to witness and experience while the bridegroom roamed Israel. The sick were healed. The dead were raised. People were unlocked from their bondage to guilt and shame. And the disciples received a God-given purpose and contentment. And the goodness of God was poured out in exponential ways through Jesus. Now, when he ascended into heaven, you can imagine how the disciples longed for him to return. Fasting was a way for them to express this intense longing for Jesus to come back. And it is for us as well. Even though we don't, didn't get to meet Jesus face to face, many of us have gotten to experience his life-changing power. We've been given hope in hopeless situations, freedom from addiction and destructive tendencies, wisdom on how to love people well and the power to do it, which has brought life to broken relationships. Instead of simply remembering the times of goodness that God gave us in the past, we are called to intensely long for more of his life-changing power. Last week, Ben examined the Lord's Prayer when Jesus is teaching his disciples about prayer. Jesus states that we are to ask God to bring his kingdom for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now think about the fact that God is the source of all that is good. That means we are called to long for his goodness in our lives and the lives of those around us. The more that we long for it, the more aware we become of what God is in the midst of doing and the way that he is calling us to bring his redemption to a broken world. And fasting is a way to express this type of longing. Now why? Why could abstaining from food or alcohol, or coffee, that one makes some of you nervous, or TV, or internet, or sex be a way to express our longing for more of what Jesus brings. By willfully not partaking in some form of the essential in order to seek God and his goodness, we are boldly declaring that we trust in God instead of food and pleasure. That God is the only source of genuine good in our lives. That even having our daily needs met does not compare with the desire we have for the one who made us. Now while one is fasting, they not only strip away the reliance on some type of necessity, they replace it with a dependence upon God. Hear that, that's crucial. Fasting is not simply about removing the things that we need from our lives is about exchanging them with an intentional pursuit of God. 
When one is abstaining from food and they feel hungry or it's lunchtime, they take that time in which they would normally eat and they pursue God through prayer, meditation, biblical study, worship. In doing this, they declare that God is their provider and that they trust that he will give them the energy to live life well. When one is fasting entertainment or sex and they feel the urge to enjoy those things, they instead push deeper into God and their dependence on him. By fighting off that desire to find pleasure or fulfillment through that thing that they're fasting, they declare that God is all that they need, that he is the only thing that can bring them what they truly desire. I hope you're starting to see the concept behind fasting. And there is no right way to fast. Right? It could be, you could pull away from a certain type of food like Daniel did. You could pull away from all food like a lot of people did. You could pull away from all food and water like Paul did. Right? Or you could pull away from some form of necessity, like I've already mentioned, TV, internet, sex, whatever. And it could be for one meal. It could be for one day. It could be for one week. It could be for an entire month. Right? There's no set formula. The important thing with fasting is that you are doing it so that way you can show God that he means more to you than anything else. When a person is willing to proclaim their dependence on God in such tangible and intentional ways, I have found through my own experience that one's heart, the center of their being, falls in line with their spirit or their soul. During times of constant prayer and fasting, our minds and our emotions, what makes us who we are, are more open to God's influence. During these times of intentionally making God our priority, our lives are primed to be deeply changed. You know, I feel like our lives are similar to a kid sitting in the midst of a carnival. There are so many shiny and noisy things all around us. And what we desire to do is simply chase whatever catches our eye at that moment. From one booth to the next, to the next, to the ride, to the booth, whatever. And eventually we start to realize, man, they do not live up to what I hoped they would live up to. They do not do for me what I wanted them to do. If we were willing to pull away and intentionally focus on the one who made you, who designed you, who gives you purpose for this life, even for a short amount of time, then we can better understand what we want to do and how to go about doing it. You know, as I wrap up, I just really want to encourage you to thank and pray about the 21 days of intention. Pray about it. Pray about what God wants you to do to love him better, to show that he is your priority, and to love others better during a 21-day period. You got three weeks before it even starts. But it's through this style of intention, through this type of living, that you can look back, years to years to come, you can look back at this time and realize something changed. 
realized that it was in that moment that I made God my priority, that I recognized a deep-seated misbelief, or I started loving him more in the way I wanted to, or I was able to reconnect him with my wife and kids like I never thought I'd be able to, or I was given direction for how I was going to live. Like I said, in those 21 days, it's so small and short, God brings such intense amounts of blessing when we do the insignificant. As the musicians come up, I encourage you just to pray with me right now. God, we love you because you are a creator. We love you because you gave us today. We long to know you more. Spirit, show us how to do that. Show us individually how to make you more of our priority, how we can express that longing that we have for you. It's you we trust because without you we have nothing. Amen.